Now, erythritol supposedly lowers stroke and cardiovascular risks. As far as I know, that's due to the reduction of sugar consumption as opposed to a direct of erythritol itself. I did have a look. I couldn't find any studies comparing erythritol to a placebo. So I think this might be disingenuous at best, possibly lying at worst, to say that erythritol reduces cardiovascular risk. Now, you may be thinking, but why do we care if we're following a low-carb, keto or carnivore diet? Well, you should care because you may actually be consuming it without even knowing. Welcome to another episode of the Meek Medic Podcast. Today, we're talking about erythritol. Now, erythritol has been in the news recently due to uh, this study published recently in Nature Medicine. Um, I'll put a link for it in the episode description, of course. So you really just have to look on Google to see the headlines for this supposedly harmless sweetener. Often hailed as the quote-unquote perfect sweetener, is erythritol actually that good for us? Now, you may be thinking, but why do we care if we're following a low-carb, keto or carnivore diet? Well, you should care because you may actually be consuming it without even knowing. There's a lot of products on the market that are marketed towards health-conscious consumers, particularly those looking for a low-carb or ketogenic diet, the foods. Even those who follow a carnivore diet might be consuming erythritol. It's in a lot of products nowadays. And sometimes people fall for the marketing that these sweeteners are zero calorie or quote unquote no sugar. And so they are safe and good. It's even been marketed as reducing the risk of diabetes or stroke. Yet new data suggests that this might not actually be the case. Artificial sweeteners are widely used across the world. They've gained popularity in recent years as a sugar substitute due to the low calorie content and sweet taste, of course. Consumption varies by country and region, but there's a growing trend towards using artificial sweeteners as a means to reduce the sugar intake and for people trying to manage their weight, of course, in the obesity epidemic that we're suffering with. Now, according to a report by the Research in Markets, the global artificial sweeteners market was valued around 1.6 billion US dollars in 2020 and is expected to reach about 2.3 billion in the next three to four years. That's pretty crazy amounts of money. The United States is one of the biggest consumers of artificial sweeteners in the world, around 200 million Americans consuming them on a daily basis. Now, this is probably because of a high prevalence of obesity and type 2 diabetes in the country, leading to a shift towards low-calorie and supposedly sugar-free products. In Europe, the consumption varies again by country. For example, the UK has one of the highest consumption rates of artificial sweeteners in the whole of Europe, with an estimated 5% of the population using them regularly. On the other hand, countries like Italy and Spain, the Mediterranean countries, have a much lower rate of consumption, around 1% of the population. 
In Asia, again, there's a big growing trend towards using these artificial sweeteners to try and reduce weight. And China's one of the biggest consumers in the world, estimated 100,000 tons of artificial sweetener consumed every year. Crazy. Again, due to the high prevalence of obesity and type 2 diabetes. Now, you might be thinking, why would people eat these artificial sweeteners if they're trying to be healthy? Often healthy products are branded as low calorie or zero carb, like keto products. Now, often they contain the erythritol. Now, you might think, well, hang on, everybody knows that artificial sweeteners are bad. Well, no, maybe not. After all, there's actually a lot of research that says they might not be that bad. The problem is this research is often weak and it's flawed, often epidemiological evidence, which is pretty poor on the whole. Even world-renowned website dietdoctor.com, one I use regularly for people, they actually somewhat promote the use of artificial sweeteners. And in their list of the best artificial sweeteners for keto, erythritol is number two on the list, stevia being number one. Now, a lot of people use stevia as a sweetener, as well as monk fruit. But actually, you may not know, many of these quote-unquote natural stevia or monk fruit products actually contain artificial sweeteners like erythritol. They're allowed to do this because erythritol is actually a natural product. But it's also an artificial product. Bit confusing, isn't it? But legally, I guess they can market it as either. A lot of people on a low-carb, keto, or carnivore diet will probably be using stevia to sweeten their coffee, for example. And they're probably consuming erythritol and other artificial sweeteners, probably without even realizing they're doing it. I guess ultimately, though, the question is, does this really matter? I mean, after all, there's research suggesting that erythritol is potentially good for us? Supposedly, erythritol doesn't cause tooth decay, doesn't raise insulin levels, and doesn't raise blood glucose levels within the body. However, being a sweetener, it is likely to contribute to sugar and food addiction, something which plagues everybody nowadays, and is likely to end up leading to those problems anyway because of sugar addiction. And in fact, there's some studies which now are looking at this and saying, actually, maybe they do raise blood glucose and maybe do raise insulin levels. Now, erythritol supposedly lowers stroke and cardiovascular risks. As far as I know, that's due to the reduction of sugar consumption as opposed to a direct of erythritol itself. I did have a look. I couldn't find any studies comparing erythritol to a placebo. So I think this might be disingenuous at best, possibly lying at worst, to say that erythritol reduces cardiovascular risk. But the latest study that's actually caused this uproar is actually saying that it increases cardiovascular risk, it increases stroke risk. So let's have a look at this paper. So. I'll put a link in the description so you can check it out yourself, but published in February 2023, so very recent, in the journal Nature Medicine, this study looked at around 1150 patients using erythritol 
and looked at their cardiovascular outcomes and found associations with bad cardiovascular outcomes and stroke risk. They subsequently looked at another 2,149 patients in the US and 833 Europeans to validate and confirm their findings. They concluded that erythritol significantly increases cardiovascular risk and increases the likelihood of clot formation by increasing reactivity and thrombus formation. Now that basically means it increases the cardiovascular risk and increases the risk of stroke. Now these are obviously very significant findings, but are they legitimate? After all, the previous research has suggested that erythritol is safe and it's on the list of safe things to eat. Now, unfortunately, as I said, to my knowledge, there's no head-to-head -head trials or randomized control trials studying the effect of erythritol on these outcomes. And honestly, there probably never will be. This is a key failing of modern-day nutritional science. Very little actual science is actually done. Anyway, I digress. Epidemiological studies are often criticized for being poor evidence. But this is actually what the vast majority of nutritional science is based on, epidemiological studies. There's a growing number of these studies though that actually suggest that erythritol might be dangerous. So people are probably wondering, well, what actually is erythritol? So erythritol is a funny substance. It's both an artificial and a natural sweetener. Erythritol is naturally found in some fruits and is even produced in the human body. But when added to food, it's typically around a thousand times more concentrated than the normal human levels. Now, we mentioned, of course, consumption is widespread. And it's estimated in the United States that erythritol consumption is up to 30 grams a day. Six teaspoons, roughly, a day of artificial sweetener. It's estimated the average person consumes about 16 grams a day. 16 grams, that's three, roughly three teaspoons of artificial sweetener per day. That is insane. Now, when consumed, a lot of erythritol is actually urinated out of the body, but some still remains in the body, of course. Now, the amount that's left hasn't been properly studied as to what the effects would actually be. But of course, the authors of this study are saying that it could have significant cardiovascular risk. Erythritol is touted as zero calorie and zero sugar. But we all know that marketing often doesn't really tell the whole truth. So despite what these companies would like you to believe, sugar alcohols will still have an effect on the body and often not in a good way. Anyway, let's get back to the study that we're talking about. So they looked at just over 4,000 patients aging, ranging from an age of around 55 to 81 years old, predominantly male population, I think about 60% male, with an average BMI around 29. 
Now the first cohort, cohort rather, they say was untargeted, although they were actually undergoing cardiac investigations. So not entirely general population, I think. The second and third cohorts that they used to validate the study were targeted high-risk cardiac patients. Now this paper has attracted some criticism. The patient numbers were not especially large. 4,000 patients is not terribly large. And the authors themselves acknowledge that the methods of attaining the erythritol kind of levels, the intake, were actually quite poor. What they did was they basically just used a single fasting blood sample at the time of recruitment to essentially estimate how much erythritol people had been consuming. Now this unfortunately makes basically no differentiation between short-term erythritol use and long-term erythritol use, which in a way almost completely invalidates the study, which is a shame. Now you can assume that if you had a high erythritol level, essentially at random, that probably you were eating a lot of erythritol for a long time. The problem with that is what's the saying? When you assume, you make an ass out of you and me. Is that what the authors of this paper have done? Maybe, it's unclear. But it is attracting criticism for being quote unquote weak data. And this is unfortunate. I do wonder if the paper would have been a bit more robust if they had combined, you know, blood samples maybe with a bit more epidemiological data. Now I know that gets criticism, of course, but they could have at least qualified it with the patients to say, okay, how long have you been eating this diet for? To maybe get a sense of the effect this was going to have. It could have given a bit more information perhaps to the potential risk of erythritol based on the uh, length of time you'd been consuming it for, for example, because that's very significant. If you have a one-off dose of erythritol, it's likely to not cause a major problem, whereas long-term use is likely to cause more of an issue. So unfortunately, I don't think we can completely rely on this data and categorically state that erythritol is dangerous. But it certainly raises the possibility and calls into question previous suggestions that these artificial sweeteners are perfectly safe and are in fact good for us and they should be used instead of sugar. Myself personally, I'll still continue to avoid them. And I still maintain that whole food, real food, in its most natural state and quantity is probably the best way to eat our food. It's unlikely that in the wild you're going to have these artificial sweeteners at all. And even if you do find natural sweeteners like erythritol, you're unlikely to find them in the quantities that are served up in processed food nowadays and artificially stinted food, you know, a thousand times the normal human level. These, prop these things can still cause problems, often unseen. And although some people say the research does show that potentially it doesn't raise glucose or insulin, the authors of this paper actually disagree with that. And there's certainly links in the paper to other articles suggesting that they might increase glucose and insulin. But the thing they're very likely to do is lead to sweetness addiction and therefore sugar addiction and food addiction, which is likely to cause big 
problems. They can also cause quite marked GI upset, with people suffering severe abdominal pains, cramping, bloating, diarrhea, constipation, you name it. Sometimes pretty severe as well. I think we need more research, like this paper though, that's casting a doubt on the usual, you know, pharma or food company-led pseudo-marketing-come-research papers, basically, that's often biased and conflicted with statistics that's usually either hidden completely or massaged, shall we say, to the point of almost lying, basically to meet the agenda of whoever has sponsored the article, either they're usually a pharma company or a food company. I would suggest that anyone listening to this or watching this on YouTube do your own research. Research these artificial sweeteners. And ultimately ask yourself, why am I using them? Do I need them? Am I reliant on this sweet, hyperpalatable, hyperaddictive food? And is it healthy for me? Or would it be better to ditch the sugar, ditch the sweeteners, and going back to eating whole, real food. Thank you for tuning into this episode of the Meat Medic Podcast. Links for the article in question and other research are in the description, so please do check those out if you want to. There's also links to my mailing list and Patreon, of course, if you want to support this channel and the work that I'm trying to do. If you found this episode useful, please share it. Hit a like, follow me, subscribe, and let me know in the comments if you've had issues with sweeteners, what your thoughts were. You know, should we be using them? Or should we be avoiding them? See you in the next episode. Thank you for this... Thank you for listening to this episode of the Meek Medic Podcast. If you've enjoyed this episode, please leave a five-star review on your podcast platform of choice. It really does help to spread the word that how, how we can improve mental and physical health through diet and nutrition. If you are imp interested in improving your own... Okay, let's just re-record that. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Meek Medic Podcast. If you found this episode useful, please leave a five-star review on your podcast platform of choice. It really does help out the channel to grow. If you have found this useful and you want to improve your physical and mental health further, please do check out my website, themeatmedic.com, where you can find all my eBooks are currently 50% off with the code 50OFF. That's code 50OFF, 50OFF, O-double-F, for 50% off all eBooks. Take care. Thank you. See you in the next episode.